What's up, Beardos? You're listening to episode 127 of The Bearded Vegans. Basically, our whole philosophy boils down to, don't be a jerk. Don't really answer the question first. I'm not answering the question. I really hope people didn't tune in to hear us talking about beer. Welcome to the show. I'm Paul. And I'm Andy. And we are the Bearded Vegans, a podcast featuring a dissection of all things vegan. If you're just tuning in for the first time, you can find all of our previous episodes at thebeardedvegans.com. You can always reach us by emailing thebeardvegans at gmail.com. In today's episode, we're going to talk about what we've been eating, do some follow-up, discuss the news, and then move on into an interview with Sarah Woodcock, one of the founders of Trio Plant-Based. Yeah, Paul, this is a great interview. I know we don't normally have a lot of like restaurant people or cookbook people, food people on the show, but trust that this is such a unique restaurant experience that I think it's really important for our listeners to hear about it. So really looking forward to to sharing everything that Sarah's doing with our listeners. I trust you, Andy. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. I appreciate that. I'm glad I've earned your trust after 127 <laughs> episodes. Yep, yep. But before we get into what we've been eating, just a the quick announcement. It's our standard mailbag announcement. That means in three short episodes, we'll be doing the old mailbag, which means we want your, all of you beautiful beardos, your listener, question, comments, concerns about anything we've covered, anything you want us to cover. Nothing is too big, too small, or too medium, or too mundane. We, we love hearing from everybody and of course a mailbag episode means we will have three new winners for our review contest so if you want to win a beard vegans button and sticker all you have to do is head over to itunes and give us a rating and a review you must give a review or else we will have no idea who it is that left us that wonderful (laughs) rating Um, we choose three people at random with a random number generator every episode and then we we mail them button and sticker for free so uh, head over there and get on it Yes. So, Andy, what have you been eating? Well, before I talk about food, I want to say that I did the Indie Veg Fest, <clears throat> the Andy Veg Fest <clears throat> in, in Indianapolis, and want to give a quick shout out to some of the beardos that were there. So, thank you very much to Jeremy and Darcy. And uh, some child came by and said, my aunt is a beardo. So, I gave that <laughs> child a sticker, and hopefully the aunt has received it. That's the, that's the super secret uh, keyword to say to us. <laughs> you know, Paul, I've been thinking I need something to say back to people. I don't know what it is, but I feel like everyone's like, what's up, beard? I'm like, uh, hey, what's, <laughs> what's going on? You know, and just uh, there needs to be something like a secret, like a secret handshake, a verbal secret handshake or something. So I'm into that. If, if anyone has any suggestions out there, or maybe it's just people saying, hey, Andy, and I go. Yes, Paul. <laughs> uh, anyway, thank you to Stacy. Now, Stacy brought me a banh mi, so I'm glad that that's becoming my thing. Uh, <laughs> this is a banh mi that I got earlier in the day, and it was so good, but it was kind of tiny, and I was like, oh, I would love to eat another one of these at some point in my life, but I know they'll be sold out by the time I can leave my table again, so thank you to Stacy for that. And then also met uh, Amy who uh, I didn't catch Amy's friend, partner, uh, VegFest exploration buddy's name, but uh, they brought me some biscuits and gravy that were delicious. Oh, nice. 
Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I'm not great at expressing my my gratitude. I feel like I'm just an awkward human being, and I also <laughs> feel like I, I'm not worthy. But thank you very much. It's it's amazing when people do bring by little treats for me and Paul occasionally at the table. So, so <laughs> I was going to I was going to say. We're recording this now before I went to the Veggie Pride Parade in New York City, even though you're listening to it after that happened. But I can only assume that someone came up to me and gave me some raw blocks of tofu at the (laughs) Veggie Pride Parade. I hope that that happens. That's going to be the new thing. If we ever, the next time we do a live taping, I want people to just be throwing raw tofu at Paul (laughs) and Bon Mies at me. (laughs) Beautiful. Yes. Also, I wanted to say I met Paris at the Vegan Street Fair in L.A. I forgot to mention So thank you to everyone that stopped by. All right, food. So during my travels from the Indie Veg Fest to the Nashville Veg Fest, which is where I'll be this coming weekend, uh, but pay no heed to that because by the time you hear this, it will have happened already. But during those travels, I did get to stop in Louisville, Kentucky, and I went to Morrill's Cafe. That's M-O-R-E-L apostrophe S, like the mushroom. And I got to say, this is a really cool little sort of vegan diner deli kind of place i got the farby's meal which is sort of a vegan recreation of an arby's meal Ooh, yeah there's there's a the lighting was nice so there's a great picture of this on our instagram and so it was sort of this the shaved seitan and a cheese sauce on a, a bun it all it all looks exactly like what you'd get at arby's but obviously tasted Way better. I got it with curly fries, and they came with some sort of s- kind of sweet horseradish dipping sauce. And mm. the whole thing was really good. I have to say the cheese sauce on the actual sandwich didn't really have much of a taste, but, like, visually it really made it look like the whole thing. But overall, everything just came together so well. The flavors were great. The I just really liked this place. And... The thing that made me truly love it over the top was that I found out that it seems to be the official outlet for Louisville vegan jerky. Hmm. Yeah, and you know they they put out these limited edition flavors that I never get my hands on for the most part, and they have like a jerky of the month club, and I just love this jerky so much, but I, I never like have an address to ship it to, and. I actually like messaged them on Instagram and I was like, Hey, I'm coming through. Is there a place I can buy it in town? And I received no response. So I was like (laughs) really happy to show up and they had all of these special flavors. They had a a bold teriyaki, a cowboy steak, and they had the flavor of the month. And they, they also, Paul, they had, you know, those grabber claw machines. Mm -hmm. They had a machine that was just a grabber claw machine filled with vegan jerky. I love it. In, Sounds in, like my in, kind of machine. In the bags, not just like <laughs> not loose, loose jerky. jerky. <laughs> so, and they also had a lot of other fun vegan goodies from other you know companies like Violife. So, yeah, really cool spot. I hope to go back because the other thing that was on the menu that I did not get was their banh mi hot dogs. So, whoa, yeah. Anyway, so that's Morals Cafe in Louisville, Kentucky. And, yeah, I don't know. I got to get back to that town. I, I like the vibe. And, unfortunately, I had to, to leave right quick and head to Nashville. But I hope to return. You know, Andy, I have, a, I have an address that you can send them to, all the jerky. <laughs> <laughs> I don't trust that they will make it to me if they get to you first. <laughs> that is, uh, yeah, you, you are right to have that distrust. <laughs> all right, Paul, what went in that beautiful mouth of yours this week? Yeah, just some tofu and... Uh, just had a tofurkey sausage that I put in the microwave for about a minute and a half and then ate it. That's my daily intake. <laughs> Gourmet. 
gourmet. <laughs> so, Andy, we got a little bit of follow-up from last week's discussion. Let's hear about that. Yeah, so as most people know, we record most of our episodes generally a week in advance. So the side effect of that means often we are not timely on news, but every now and then there is a coincidence in the releasing of our episodes. And and this happened with our most recent episode. You know, we, we did a news roundup, but one of the stories that we covered extensively was this vegan author that, that wrote this long post and essentially was kind of saying that if the world went vegan, there would be no more mass shootings. And we refuted that claim. We said, you know, there are lots of vegans that do horrible things. And obviously we think going vegan is this amazing thing to do for a number of reasons. But to think that we can just focus on getting people to go vegan and everything else will follow is a, is a fallacious claim. And unfortunately the day before the episode was released a story broke something happened that really uh spectacularly so disproved that author's claim it's it's hard to be happy about it because it is of course a very tragic thing and that is that there was a shooting at the YouTube headquarters and this person as the time of recording it shot and injured three people and then killed herself and you know we're hoping the three people that were shot there that they pull through of course but the thing that makes this interesting and different from the standard mass shooting case is that this shooter is someone that identifies as a vegan had a youtube channel that promoted veganism and animal rights and the mainstream media dug up a picture of this person from 2009 at a peta protest so so here we have someone, Paul, that very much identifies as vegan. Seems like it's not just someone that's sort of casually eating plant-based food. Like, they're, they're out there campaigning for the rights of animals. And, and they go and engage in the shooting. And, of course, that seems to very much be counter to the point that that, that author was making. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think it, it's obviously a terrible and sad story. But hopefully... I mean, hopefully it means that people will maybe be more hesitant to push this agenda that's like, oh, veganism is the only thing that we need to do. It's the only thing that we need to work for. And then it'll solve racism. It'll solve sexism. It'll solve all the other tragedies in the world if we just go vegan. Because I think a lot of times or sometimes people kind of use that as a way to say, Oh, I don't, I don't need to work on these other areas. I don't need to improve myself in these areas because I'm already vegan. And I think that that's where that's, I think the, that's the, the biggest, one of the biggest dangers of that sort of mentality of all I need to do is be vegan. It kind of ignores all these, all these other issues. Definitely. Now, of course the response to, to this bit of information about the shooter has been received and used differently by different outlets. And so, of course, you have people that are saying, look at the the horrible terrorist vegan agenda from sort of the, the conservative wing, I guess I'll say. And then, of course, you have the vegans that are, are quick to jump on this story and say, well, this shooter must not have really been vegan. They must have just been a plant-based eater. Because if they were truly vegan, they would never engage in this type of violence. And again, 
we know that this is someone that is very visibly vegan and very visibly spoke out for animal liberation. But I don't know, Paul, what, what do you think about the people that are trying to sort of separate themselves from this shooter and say, well, they weren't truly vegan? I imagine that's probably what this author would say, like, well, this person hadn't truly embraced a vegan ethic yet, and that's why they engaged in this shooting. Well, I, I get it. Like, I get that reaction because I think when something like this happens to someone either that's close to you or someone who identifies as something similar to you that you think of as a very positive thing and now the media is saying is kind of latching on some of the media is latching onto it and being like oh this is this one aspect of this person's identity has in some way to do with the terrible thing that they did I get the reaction of trying to distance yourself from that person and trying to look for these loopholes or look for these outs to be like oh no wait no that person actually wasn't the same as as the thing that i am so i get the reaction i think it's a it's a a nat a normal reaction to have but i i think you need to kind of go a little bit deeper and be like and, and be able to question you know question yourself question your identities question the community that you're that you're working for in this case veganism and you have to be like okay maybe this isn't this perfect thing that i thought it was maybe it's not this this infallible movement and maybe we do have issues that we need to address so while i do think well while i do empathize slightly with the reaction that people are having i think they need to kind of maybe do a little bit more self reflection and be like okay i can't just i can't just say I can't just have this one view and then when something comes up to to counter to counter that view I can't just say well that example doesn't actually apply so my view still holds. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I mean this is this is a part of the the vegan zeitgeist at the moment. Like if you do what we do in preparation for episodes we're looking for stuff I'll often just go to Google and do a new search of veganism or animal rights and and doing those things the other day, just to, to prepare for this episode, doing so, Googling those things under a new setting, only brought up this shooting, this shooter in specific. So, hmm. you know, so it's it's here. It's a part of it. We got we to gotta sort of own the fact that, that being vegan doesn't mean perfection in all areas of our lives. Yeah, and I think, I think it almost does a maybe it does a disservice to the movement for, for, for people that aren't vegan. It, it does a disservice if vegans are just saying, you know, like almost coming up with excuses whenever something, if something like this happens, just saying like, Oh, well that's, that's not real veganism. Like that's, she, she wasn't really vegan. It, it kind of, I don't know. I, I feel like it, I don't, I don't know if the word cheapens is the right word to use, but it almost, I feel like from an outsider's perspective, it's almost like, someone might look at that and be like, you don't really have this thing down completely. Like you're just kind of trying to come up with excuses for it. And maybe that makes it less attractive to people that are on the outside of it. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. We'd love to hear what our, our listeners think about this. Feel free to send us in an email beardvegans at gmail.com. So let's move on into the news. Paul, Yes, Andy. You know I love a good movie. You know I love a good movie review. <laughs> Seems like we might have some more in our future. Yeah, I was about to say we got possibly got a lot of them coming. So I found a, I found a few different film related 
news stories. The first one is that I think this is kind of cool. There's going to be the first international vegan film festival in Canada, and it's going to be in Ottawa in October. And it seems like it was kind of started where the the event organizer was kind of inspired by the reception to Forks Over Knives and wanted to kind of give a platform for a lot of these different types of films. So I'm interested to see what types of movies that they choose to show, what types of films they choose to show, because I would hope it's not just going to be, you know, Forks Over Knives and... What the health? And I'm trying to think of all the other movies that we've reviewed that are kind of like <laughs> th- very, very similar to each other because I feel like that would not be the most exciting film festival if they're like, see T. Colin Campbell on there saying the same thing 10 times in a row. <laughs> yeah, no, honestly, I'm picturing people sitting throughout this festival and seeing 10 hours worth of film and being like, so is that all the same movie or? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I guess I'm, I'm hoping that because. Uh, Inspired by Forks Over Knives, obviously that one's been around for quite some time, you know, so I'm, I'm hoping that it won't just be films of that ilk, and hopefully it won't just be films that, that are already out now. I'm sure there's a place for them at a festival like this, but hopefully it can be a platform to, to elevate a lot of vegan films that maybe don't have huge distribution as, as far as like a vegan film goes. You know, we're, we're seeing... The uh, Eating You Alive premiere just happened in like 500 theaters nationwide. And, you know, hopefully it can be a chance to elevate some films that that don't get a lot of platform or maybe even ones that tackle some some lesser known issues within the vegan movement. Like that could be really cool if if they're talking about things other than go vegan and lose a lot of weight and never die. Yeah, yeah never die. <laughs> never die. And if, if you have a vegan film out there, the, the entry deadline is not till July 31st. So you got a little bit of time to finish up editing that film and, and submit it. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I think it's cool. I'm, I'm glad to see vegan film festivals. Uh, and I wonder if it would if it's just going to be films that talk about veganism or, or some sort of animal rights theme. I wonder if maybe there's even a category for like films made by vegans that aren't necessarily super message heavy or you know maybe there's gonna be a lot of narrative films in there not just documentaries i'm I'm curious to see what the programming schedule is going to look like for this festival yeah like i wonder if something like oakjaw would would apply where it's it's not explicitly said that it's a vegan movie but it has does have an animal heavy messaging to it yeah and it also has a very heavy animal (laughs) (laughs) thank you i'd say i'd wait in the car but i'm already here (laughs) (laughs) so i had found this other this other new documentary that's coming out that i also thought was interesting because on the surface when i first read about this i said oh this is just another this is just another rotten which if you've heard our patreon reviews of rotten you may know spoiler alert that we were not huge fans of them we were a little let down about what it ended up being we thought it was going to be more animal centric so anyways this new documentary it to me it seemed like that's what it was going to be but then i did a little more uh did a little more delving into it and i i'm a little more hopeful about it andy so so i actually found this this bit of information on vogue.com which seems like a different place to get our vegan news but hey whatever so the article talks about the investigative journalist nelofor hadiet who also created the documentary the traffickers about how she is creating a new docu series that's called 
Food Exposed with Nella for her diet. And it's going to be an eight part documentary. But the thing that the thing that kind of stuck out to me was that she met with an undercover investigator from Compassion Over Killing uh, who was showing her about the like dairy farms. So there's apparently a whole episode that just focuses on dairy farms. And already that seems to me like it's more animal centric than rotten probably will be in any of the episodes that we even didn't watch. But so it's, it, it was nice to see that she's seems to be doing it from a slightly more animal perspective. Now there are other, some of the other topics they're going to be talking about are like water pollution and GMOs and palm oil production. So with the, with the palm oil production, that might touch on the animal issues, but with GMOs and pollution, maybe that will talk about how that impacts the animals. Maybe it'll just be from like a human and environment standpoint. But I, I remain hopeful that this is going to be a little bit more of what we wanted to see from Rotten. And it does, it does help that her diet is also vegan. Now, interestingly, the article does say, Hadiat, a vegan who had not tried a glass of milk in over four years until filming this episode. So I don't know why. I don't know. I'm going to I'm going to withhold my judgment about <laughs> why why filming this episode about milk required her to drink milk. But you know what? I guess we'll I guess we can uh, withhold judgment until we actually check it out if we do choose to check it out. But I don't know. I think it's going to be pretty good. I'm hopeful about it, Andy. Let's be real. We're definitely going to check it out, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, the the thing definitely gives me rotten vibes just because of that that one little section that does talk about dairy, dairy farmers. And it says that it's talking about dairy farmers that are facing jail time for producing and distributing raw, unpasteurized milk, which I, we did not watch the dairy episode of Rotten yet, but or maybe never will. But I do know that it does focus on the sales of raw milk, so... I don't know. I, I guess I'll be curious to see with a skeptical eye how this, mm-hmm. this documentary mm-hmm. stacks up. But the fact that she's vegan and the fact that she's working with a animal rights organization does give me hope. Yeah, yeah. And I guess also in film news, I just wanted to say we, we talked about the Natalie Portman-led adaptation of Eating Animals. And just wanted to say we found out that that is set for release June 15th. So That's not that far from now. No, it's not. We got a lot of movie reviews in our future. Is that getting a a wide release? (sighs) You know, I I have to hope that it is, but I guess we'll see. I mean, Natalie Portman, right? Big name. Jonathan Safran Foer, very popular author. So I guess we'll see. Yeah, but it's it's not like... Earthlings got a wide release, even though Joaquin Phoenix was the narrator. Yeah, but I feel like that was a different time, Paul. I think <laughs> that, you know, with seeing films like What the Health or I think even the first time that Eating You Alive came out, I, I think that I saw that in a theater in New York City. And, you know, Blackfish got a, a super, not a super wide release, but it got a wider release. So we'll see. We'll see. Still haven't seen Blackfish, Andy. It's all right. <laughs> all right. So is that all we got to say about films for now? That's, that's it. I like Paul. Yes, Andy? I like films. <laughs> Hot take. Hot take. So let's move on into our final piece of news item. I feel like we're going to have a lot to discuss about this. So this is coming to us from livekindly.co. Vegan nonprofit fights to stop prison-run slaughterhouses. Vegan nonprofit Evolve Our Prison Farms, or EOPF, 
is working to implement change after a recent government ruling allowed the return of prison farms in Canada. These farms previously saw prisoners raising livestock for slaughter and even now sees inmates working in on-site abattoirs. Canada's new federal budget allocated $4.3 million towards the reintroduction of prison farms in Kingston, Ontario. Previous meat and dairy operations saw prisoners forcibly impregnating cows, separating calves from their mothers, and sending cows and calves off to slaughter. Further, some prisoners were trained at on-site slaughterhouses, one of which is still in operation. The new model will see similar operations, however, this time involving goat dairy. While advocates for the prison farms argue that this work helps inmates gain, quote, valuable life skills, EOPF believes these programs worsen the well-being of inmates and increases the risk of violent behavior. And so the article goes on and says, basically, the EOPF, or uh, Evolve Our Prison Farms, instead of, what they want to do is instead of having these inmates work at slaughterhouses, essentially, they want them to work to, to help them to grow fruit and vegetables. So they still, they don't oppose the idea of working on farms, just not with all the violence, basically. And, <laughs> and the founder of the EOPF, Calvin Newfield, Newfield, Calvin Newfield had this to say, teaching prisoners to exploit and slaughter animals is neither therapeutic nor rehabilitative. A plant-based model is said to teach responsibility and empathy without the exploitation of animals. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think it, it's, it's, well, it sucks. What they're doing sucks. I, I think that what Evolve Our Prison Farms is trying to do, though, I think it, it can be, it could be beneficial. It's certainly a better alternative. But what do you think, Andy? So, Paul, I did not read this article before you brought it to me. So I was not sure where it was going to go. <laughs> and my jaw kind of dropped when they said that they wanted to switch over to plant-based agriculture. I agree with you that, yes, that is obviously much better than slaughtering animals. I think that, that EOPF does make a great point that, that you know, invol- involving any human being in the slaughter of animals, as we've seen, increases rates of violence. You know, we see increased rates of domestic abuse in communities where, where slaughterhouses are, etc. So, so I agree with that, but I just can't believe the conclusion is to switch over to plant-based agriculture and not to end these these prison labor systems I, I it just it i don't know it it feels like white veganism to me paul it feels like it's really missing the point that it's still furthering the exploitation you know i think if it was like a program that was like hey we're gonna teach prisoners how to garden or you know if it's something like that where it's just like hey this is like a, a life skills course but this is something that some industry is going to profit off of and i just can't be down with it I thought that that's what it was. I thought it was like switching over to kind of like, hey, here's the tools that you have to grow this farm stuff. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know. I feel like if they're the the impression that I've got from what you have read so far is that they're like, hey, these companies are using prisoners to they're exploiting them for incredibly cheap labor. You know, almost like almost free labor. You know, yeah. essentially, for for animal slaughter. So what we want to do is transition them over to giving that almost free labor to plant based agriculture instead. Yeah, that that is the vibe I'm getting from this article. Hmm. I see what you're saying. 
so what what do you think what do you think would make would make it an okay thing to have if we abolished all prisons <laughs> <laughs> yes no i agree but in this in this specific situation like for instance what i'm thinking is like what if what if it was just like a, a voluntary thing instead of a, a mandatory like you're going to work at this place i uh, it's hard for me to approve of literally anything to do with the prison system paul yeah <laughs> yeah I, I again i think if it's just like a, a life skills course if it was the same as like some course that's getting a ged or some college equivalent program or you know learning some some trade that you'll be able to use once you get out I think that that is something that that could be favorable, but something that provides cheap labor for for a corporation, I I don't think there's any value in that whatsoever. Well, I wonder if I wonder if we can figure out from the Evolve Our Prisons Farms website where like where that labor what that labor is going towards or who it's profiting. So after a slight amount of research, I found on their website, some of the positions they take are providing work and learning opportunities for prisoners that provide education, life skills, and job skills relevant to reintegration into a society that is increasingly concerned with issues of climate change, public health, and animal welfare, and where job opportunities continue to grow in sectors such as organic plant production, food services, and animal care. And a couple bullet points down, it says... Feeding prisoners with nutritious food grown, processed, and prepared by their fellow prisoners. Providing a coherent model of rehabilitation and therapeutic activities for prisoners that is centered in responsibility, uh, responsive, and nurturing relationships with uh, humans, animals, plants, and the environment. So it's a little, Andy, it's a little unclear about like who if there are profits being made from this who the profits are going towards because i i 100 obviously agree with you that any form of like exploiting labor like this is is awful but what do you how do you feel about it if it was purely like a a, a therapeutic or like providing kind of life or job skills type of program in that case, I guess it would be hard for me to really argue against it if it's a totally voluntary thing and it's no one no one is profiting off of it. It's just food that the inmates who grow it get to eat. I guess I'm down with that, Paul. I I I understand your concern that it's hard to it's hard to be like, yes, this thing, this like good thing is happening inside of the prisons. I like I understand your hesitance, but um, I don't know. I mean, in the current system that we have, I guess I would rather see something like this than than not. If it was like you said, a voluntary, like if it was voluntary, if if they were either being paid fairly or if they just got to eat the food that they that they grew. So I think that's where we're going to wrap up the conversation for now. I think you can probably expect some follow-up on this next week, but we'll see. But for now, right before we go to our interview with Sarah Woodcock, we have some uh, some special beardos to give shout-outs to. That's right, our Patreon donors. 
Yes, so thank you to everyone that is sustaining the podcast with your monthly contribution. New to the the Beardo crew, we have Annalie A. Casey B. And Jules I. So thank you very much for contributing to the Patreon. And, of course, if there's someone that doesn't want to make a monthly recurring payment, we can also take a one-time donation. So thank you very much to Deb L. for taking advantage of that option via PayPal. Thank you. Thank you very much. And if you want to support the podcast, just go to thebeardedvegans.com slash beardo, and you'll have a couple different options there. And if you, if you do choose to do so, you can get a shout-out on the show, of course. You can get early access to episodes. There's a couple bonus episodes already up, and there'll be another new bonus episode dropping in uh, probably a week or so. So uh, so head over to beardvegans.com slash beardo, B-E-A-R-D-O, and do it up, and thank you. All right, and with that said, it's time for us to move on into our interview with Sarah Woodcock. Again, this is a really cool interview. I think that what Sarah and the, the crew over at Trio Plant Base is doing is it's really unique. It's really important work. So really excited to share their story with all of our listeners. So we'll be right back with Sarah Woodcock. Our guest today is Sarah Woodcock, co-founder of Trio Plant-Based. Sarah, thank you for taking the time to join me today. Thank you so much for having me on your show, Andy. I am, I'm so excited to finally get you on the show. I've been following your work for a while. I really love the perspective that you bring to the online commentary around all, the, all things vegan. But you know, before we get into the main reason why we brought you here today, we always like to ask our guests you know, how and why they went vegan. So what did that transition look like for you? Yeah, so I was one of those kids where... I think I just had flashes of awareness of what was going on with animals or what is going on with animals. Um, but I wasn't one of those kids where I was surrounded by animals growing up or I didn't identify as a child who loved animals. But I had a couple times in life where actually it was things that my parents would tell me now that I would say then. like if there was a piece of meat on my plate, I didn't even remember this, but they would tell me that. I was like, I can't eat that, that's an animal. And one time I went to Maine and my family ordered clam chowder. And when it got to the table, I do remember just being like, I literally cannot eat that. There are animals in my soup. Um, so like, you know, at times there was kind of an awakening there, but for the most part, I was pretty, pretty asleep until like my guess late 20s early 30s and didn't really ever have like a strong consistent animal rights message but I would sort of pick up pieces from pop culture here and there around like really associating something wrong with meat itself so eventually I would kind of dabble with being vegetarian and trying to get away from ordering meat I think one time I did a stint where I was vegetarian for six months and then I also remember I would try to avoid buying leather or I would try and get like secondhand leather. Still wasn't quite like making the full connection to being vegan, but eventually what set me over the edge was in 2012 I came across a refrigerator at a grocery store. And on the door of the refrigerator, it said, 
we're no longer carrying eggs from this farm due to an undercover investigation that revealed animal cruelty. And for some reason that day, and I was like, eggs? Like, what possibly could be the animal cruelty behind eggs? And I thought maybe it was just like, you know, a rogue, quote unquote, mean employee. But as I researched further into it, I found that there was really no way to get around what we call animal cruelty in any of the animal-based foods that exist. So even, like, I sought out for a long time, like, humane. <laughs> and, you know, as most vegans do, you just get to the end of the road and you realize, wait, there really isn't a way to do this humanely. And then you also realize, you know, as you get involved in the vegan movement that, gosh, like, we don't need to eat animal foods at all. So <laughs> and vegan food can be so delicious. So the next thing you know, it all works out and, you know, you find being vegan is actually awesome and, you know, you don't have to struggle so much with the idea of leaving behind those animal-based foods that are associated with so much harm and sadness and pain. Absolutely. And and so I find that a lot of vegans over time, their approach to veganism kind of changes. And, and I'm wondering, has that happened for you? Are you the same type of vegan that you were when you first started? Oh, my God. <laughs> Okay, everyone can kind of laugh right now because <laughs> my journey has been very public, I think, and for people that I've been friends with for many years in the vegan movement. I've been vegan now, it'll be six years, um, actually this month, um, on tax day. <laughs> awesome. But anyway, yeah, I went vegan because I finally put my foot on the ground and was just like, I no longer want my life to be taxing the animals, and it was like this combination with me taking a stand and also being on tax day. Anyways, you know, I, when you first enter, like, you forget how little you know if you've been vegan for a while. And I just was soaking up so much information because usually we become vegan because we've had a serious revelation in our lives and we just are taking a moral stand, so to speak. So, like, in addition to needing to soak up all this new information, you also want to you know for yourself and how to live vegan now you also want to soak up so much information because <laughs> you're trying to educate other people around you who have a thousand questions and a thousand misconceptions about why you're vegan and what vegan is so in the beginning i really did not know much at all and just dove in pretty quickly to like immersing myself in information about you know why why i'm vegan which for me was always really clear but then it got intermixed a lot with so many facts and statistics that are out there related to animals um, in the industries becoming somewhat of you know somewhat knowledgeable on those so in the beginning I just really immersed myself in information and then um, shortly thereafter I encountered like a poster online that just like <laughs> It's, it introduced me to the idea that there's something different between animal welfare and animal rights. And I definitely did come into the movement through animal welfare ideology and then became um, educated about you know the difference. And now I'm 100% identifying now with animal rights and therefore veganism. Um, but it was a pretty rocky journey, just like, you know, getting immersed in that information and then finding eventually that like you know you really have to be open-minded to an extent to 
to learn what all of the different thinkers in the movement have, you know, been thinking about. And so um, now I certainly identify with animal rights and for a while identified as abolitionist vegan and now I've dropped the abolitionist title for a million reasons, but um, now I just identify as as vegan. Right on. Just straight down the line, nice and simple, vegan. <laughs> yep. Started as vegan, went to something else, came back to vegan. <laughs> Very cool. Well, thank you for sharing your, your journey there. And, of course, we're, we're bringing you on today because we want to talk about Trio Plant-Based, which involves you and two other people. So before we talk about this endeavor, uh, tell us about your, your business partners in this endeavor and how did you come to together to create this? Oh my gosh. Well, thank you again for having me on the show and giving me a chance to talk about Trio. I'm really excited. So Trio is a forthcoming 100% plant-based restaurant. And what makes us really different is that we have a strong social justice foundation. And the reason for that is because my husband, who's one of my business partners, Dan Woodcock, and our business partner, Lewis Hunter, we met actually through a situation when Lewis was facing a severe injustice, um, a severe racial injustice. And we met him when we were at a protest in Minnesota in the summer of 2016. And it was a protest following the murder of a black man by the police. And we didn't actually meet him actually at the protest, but we met him as a result of the protest because afterwards my husband and I just went home and continued on in our lives. And then, but for our business partner, Lewis, the next day, he was arrested and he was charged with, I think, two counts of felony riot. And he was accused of doing things at the protest that he actually did not do. And he was looking at up to 20 years in prison for something that he did not do. And he has four daughters that he is very close with. And it was actually several months from the time of the protest until we met him. The protest was in July of 2016. And it was in May of 2017, something came through my newsfeed that there's a house party, um, come out and meet this man named Lewis Hunter, who's unjustly facing up to 20 years in prison for something he didn't do. Put pieces together when we realized, oh my gosh, he was at the protest that we were at, and yet he's facing jail for it, and here we are not. And so, you know, after work, we got home that night, it was like a Wednesday night, I think, and it's that choice of like, you know, when you're compelled with social justice issues that enter your stream of consciousness, like, do I go to something and, you know, everyone would probably rather sit home on the couch, right? Or do I get involved and go and learn and try and support someone else who's um, facing something? So we decided to go. And that choice ended up completely changing the course of Dan's and my lives. We met him, and I immediately knew that he was innocent. I could just tell when he told his story that this is a case of a black man who is, in many ways, not in every way, but in many ways in our society, pretty powerless if you're going to have something, you know, a charge brought against you. You know, who who's really going to stand up and support you and try and help you fight that charge? So much 
so much of how racism plays out today is just this assumption of guilt or this idea that you know things that happen to people of color or things that happen to black people is because they did something or they deserve it or you know that the idea that law is is executed in a fair and just manner and that it's you know it's executed in a way that there is no um race or there is no color it's just it is what it is it's a level playing field so obviously that isn't correct and we went to this we heard his story we knew he was innocent i could just feel it and got involved um helped him make a website helped him really put the foot on the gas as far as getting those charges dropped something i've never been involved with before i've never been a part of a campaign like that anything like that ever before and amazingly even though he had been dealing with those charges for mm, close to a year or almost i think it was yeah it was over a year eventually there we were able to within a matter of one to two months get those charges dropped because i along with several other people put a lot of pressure on the system to demand that they get dropped because it was just uh just a situation of just pure injustice playing out. So we got the charges dropped and throughout the process, we became really good friends with Lewis. Like we got to know him, I would bring him, I'd cook him, bake him a vegan lasagna and I'd bring it over and share it with him. And he'd really not been exposed to vegan food at all. So through my racial, racial justice advocacy, um, I started actually being able to introduce him and other people that I came into contact with, with to vegan food. And um, surprisingly, like he was just really open to it. Like sometimes you think people won't really be open to it. He was open to it, he enjoyed it, he appreciated the food. And through that whole process, we became close friends. And eventually, once the charges got dropped, you know, he had gone through so much, he'd lost his vehicle, he'd lost, which was critical to him running his small business, which is a small landscaping business where he'd do like lawn mowing, snow removal, other like yard maintenance type work. And when he lost his vehicle, it was taken for an investigation and never returned. And he was never compensated for it to this day. You know, he got removed from his, or he had to move out of his apartment where he had a perfect record of rental for over a year. So he lost his business, his vehicle, and his, his housing. Once the charges were dropped, we're like, you know, yes, that, that immediate impending threat, because he was about to go to trial, I think within two months of when they were dropped on August 2nd, I think it was, of 2017, you know, his life had really been leveled. So even though the charges were dropped, we, we literally had a celebration, because um, it, was, it was amazing. It was miraculous at that time, and still is. Dan and I really felt a strong commitment to help him actually rebuild his life further. So... We decided eventually to go into business together, and Lewis and his family have background in the restaurant industry. His sister is a successful restaurant owner, and Lewis has experience in the restaurant industry, as do Dan and I. And Dan and I have a love for vegan cooking, vegan food. I have a strong love for perfecting vegan recipes and making them as close as possible to uh, non-vegan versions. That's one of my passions is just making things like really accurate, but just without the animal products. And so we decided to go into business and initially we're gonna do a food truck. And then through conversations with a business consultant, we decided that really our ultimate goal was to have a restaurant 
And what it's really turned into now is not just a restaurant with plant-based food, but also a community space where we're combining, because of how we met, our social justice activism with our plant-based food and creating a special space in the Twin Cities here in Minneapolis where all those things are going to come together. So we've built that into the fabric of what TRIO is all about. Wow, that is it's truly quite the story. And so, so yeah, that brings us to TRIO. And you've started out, you don't have a brick and mortar yet. You started out by doing all these pop-ups. So I'm just wondering, can you tell us what have these pop-ups been like? What kind of food have you been serving? And what has the reception been from the community? Yeah, so the pop-ups have been so much fun. Uh, definitely learned a lot already just from these pop-ups. Uh, we've had three so far, and we have our next one scheduled. We actually have our next two pop-up events scheduled. Our first one was like an extravaganza, extravaganza. <laughs> we had way too much on the menu. I think looking back, we were, you know, wanting, we were so excited about sharing all the food with everyone that we just put like so much on the menu. We had chickpea salad on romaine so our homemade housemade chickpea salad and that was a huge hit like non-vegans absolutely loved it then we had for our second course our um, chicken and cheese quesadilla with chipotle cream sauce and then we served that with vegan sour cream um, salsa and that was also a really big hit like people couldn't believe it was vegan we had a vegan mozzarella in the middle there and people loved it. And then for our main course, still on the first pop-up, we had um, barbecue chicken wings with the special sauce from Lewis's sister's barbecue restaurant. So that was a strawberry barbecue. And then our homemade chicken wings. We had mac and cheese and potato salad in that course. And then for dessert, we served what has now become our famous vanilla cake with strawberry sauce and we get requests and special we've had special orders for birthdays for that vanilla cake all the time and that was our first one that's quite the spread <laughs> it was a little much i gotta say and then we also had a choice of like lemonade or hibiscus iced tea which we brewed the hibiscus iced tea from scratch <laughs> and then our next two we have planned saturday april 28th at also at breaking bread cafe and we'll have tickets um, on our website available through trioplantbase.com. It's going to be vegan soul food dinner. Well, I'm, and... I'm drooling currently. So. <laughs> okay, so I think you're going to have to come on out for that one. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you've already mentioned learning to pare down the menu. Are there any other lessons that you've learned over the course of, of doing these pop-ups? Honestly, I think the number one is like really pare down the menu and just don't overdo it on the first event. I think the second one is if you're ever making a large quantity, whether it's professionally for a restaurant or, you know, let's say a dinner party at your house where you're cooking for a lot of people, just make a lot of small batches rather than attempting to multiply it out and make like giant batches. Because if you do the multiplication method, you can do it like within reason, like maybe to two or three multiplications. But if you go beyond that, the recipe can really get out of hand. 
So those will probably be my top two lessons so far. Nice. And so is this basically, is this going to be the type of food that you'll serve at the eventual brick and mortar restaurant? Do you have a specific theme you're going for? It's going to be eclectic. I think the closest way to describe it is going to be comfort food. We're just going to have comfort food that's traditional and delicious like lasagna, cheeseburgers and fries. We'll also have some delicious sandwiches. One of my favorite sandwiches to make at home, so I want to absolutely have it available at the restaurant, is using the herbivorous butcher's deli ham, which they put pineapple juice into with a slice of like a white cheese, whether it's provolone or Swiss. We'll still have to source that with like lettuce and then veganaise on a really awesome like slices of bread very nice yeah <laughs> definitely have that and then we have an awesome um sour cream and cheddar chip that we're going to include on the menu well definitely going to be on the the vegan map for minneapolis for sure <laughs> so you've already mentioned a little bit about this but i'm wondering if you could elaborate on how your commitment to social justice will translate over into the type of restaurant this will be maybe it's from you know who you're hiring to your your business structure or anything like that could you elaborate on on what that's going to look like for trio that's a great question from our business structure each of the partners in the business so myself my husband and lewis are all equal owners so Lewis is a black man, I'm an Asian woman, and then my husband is a white man. And so our business is majority people of color owned. It um, has a woman of color ownership, and then obviously um, a man of color ownership as well. And we really work together, like we all have different strengths, but we look to work together and utilize those strengths and appreciate the strengths and the differences that we bring and knowing that those differences are what makes us really strong. We all have different networks, different perspectives on things, different food inspirations, and so those will all be very much reflected in TRIO. In addition, you know, being involved in the racial justice movement here in Minneapolis and St. Paul, you really find that you just start to meet people that are truly, in many ways, struggling. I have, just from being more involved locally, I'm intimately aware of people that have needs that, you know, if someone wasn't involved in the movement and living a relatively comfortable life, they might not realize that people are literally struggling to get to and from work because of gas costs, or they go to bed they may be working full-time or maybe even two jobs, but they go to bed hungry. Or maybe it's that their car is about to break down and they know they need a certain service and they literally cannot afford it. Maybe it's that they're actually working full-time and they're living out of a shelter with kids. These are the types of scenarios that I have friends contact me in the movement all the time who they don't necessarily always ask for help, but if there's opportunities and it seems appropriate, um, you know, I'll ask about how I can help utilize my network to uh, help them uh, or just, you know, reach out and provide assistance if, if I can and if it seems like something that they're open to. So I think just the sensitivity to the needs that are out there. So I think with TRIO, you know, with the way our, our quote-unquote justice system is built, 
if someone has a challenging past where they were struggling to survive and maybe they technically have a criminal record because of attempting to survive and doing something that you know that is illegal they might have a really hard time finding a job and so you know the way our system works is that they're really kept down maybe forever and all the while being told by society to like you know get your get your crap together and you know go figure it out but i have so many friends who cannot go get jobs so that's one thing with trio is like you know we want to find the right people for the business and if they have a criminal background that's you know not necessarily going to be something that's going to prevent them from working with us it's more about the right fit of the person so that's one area where we're definitely going to be using our knowledge that we have from the racial justice movement and taking that into our business when it comes to how are we uniquely positioned to offer opportunities that other businesses without that lens may not be readily offering and how can we just look at our business more as a vehicle to start to provide you know a little bit of a shelter from ways that our society is really harsh on people that's awesome i i hope that you know you flourish and this can sort of serve to provide a model for other businesses vegan or not to to follow because absolutely love that approach. So this is uh, maybe a bit of an aside, but I was just sort of curious to hear your perspective on this. So so officially the name Trio Plant-Based, I'm wondering what thought, obviously the trio, that's obvious, there's the three of you, but the plant-based, I'm wondering, you know, sort of what was your thought process in, in using that as opposed to vegan? So this is something that initially when we were going through our names, we initially had vegan in the title. So, um, like when we were going to do our food truck, we had the word vegan in, in the title. As things evolved, so Dan and I are vegan and we've been vegan for, it'll be six years this April. And um, as our business evolved, we started to realize that a couple things. One, while I identify as vegan, in many ways, it opens you up to I talked earlier about the benefits so with plant-based there's benefits to animals there can be benefits to human health and environmental benefits I think the term plant-based is really it really um, speaks to all three in a pretty balanced manner whereas I think vegan being that I am an animal rights activist and I embrace animal rights and I want people to have that transformation in their heart where they allow animals, they, they start to think about their worldview in a way that allows animals to have consideration and have moral value. So I actually really like keeping the term vegan strongly associated with animals and animal rights and plant-based being that we're going to be a, a restaurant is going to really allow us to appeal in a way that will not diminish my commitment to animals, to people regardless of what draws them to a plant-based diet. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think that's a really, really great answer. You know, we see, you know, businesses, restaurants specifically take so many different routes with that. And I'm always just sort of curious behind the rationale. I don't think there's any one you know, right answer, but I, I love the answer that you gave. Yeah, and in addition, it was like, 
I feel so much responsibility with the term vegan that if it were in the title, it would open up honestly more questions around should we only hire vegans? What if there becomes conflicts between, and honestly, this is something I still worry about and I'm going to be bringing a lot of consideration to, is what if there's conflicts between meeting health codes and needing to use certain chemicals to clean that are not vegan because they're tested on animals, right? Mm -hmm. And not something I want to have to do, but if it means the difference between not being able to open and and broaden this plant-based lifestyle versus not, I might have to. And so with the term vegan, I feel so much responsibility. And as a vegan, I still do anyway, regardless of the name of the restaurant. But with the term vegan, I feel so much responsibility to operate the restaurant exclusively from a vegan lens, which is an animal rights lens, versus being able to really share the lifestyle with more and more people in a way that um, I think it just has broader potential to ultimately wrap around and help animals in a in a better way in a in a larger way right on yeah i I guess that's something that i hadn't even really thought about is the the cleaning chemicals and all these sort of other things that are not necessarily just the food that would go into that so if there's one thing i know about restaurants aside from the fact that i like going to them is that they cost a lot of money to open and to keep running so you've been doing these pop-up shops but you also recently launched a kickstarter And as of the time of us recording this, I believe it's been going for maybe about a week. And by the time this comes out, it'll be about halfway through the run. So uh, tell us about this Kickstarter. And I guess, first off, why a Kickstarter? Why not some other route for funding? Yeah, great question. So put simply, we went the Kickstarter route out of necessity and also out of the idea that our business is really a community-based business and with that social justice aspect to it, it's really something that we wanted the rest of the community that is in a position to be able to contribute, to have a part of it and to feel invested in it, literally. We decided to go the Kickstarter route and um, our Kickstarter goal is $50,000. And we set the term of it at a very standard term of 30 days. So the way it works is that we have a total of 30 days from when it launched to raise the entire goal and it's all or nothing so if we don't meet the goal we don't get any of the pledges if we meet the goal we get all of them so so far let's see we launched it on saturday march 31st we had a kickstarter launch party and that was amazing we had so many wonderful people from the community came out and you know had some snacks and that we brought and just came to celebrate and be in community with the idea that like hey there's something really special coming for all of us and to our surprise within one day of our goal initially was to raise 20 percent of our overall goal Uh, by within three days of launching our Kickstarter. And to our surprise, within one business day, um, or should I say one day, (laughs) work mode, (laughs) um, within one day, we were able to meet that 20%. So we actually exceeded $10,000 in pledges. Wow. At this time, I think last time I checked, we were around 13,000 or so a few days later. So right now we're 
just over 25% of the way. And so we've got quite a bit more to raise and it's really going to be literally allowing us to open the restaurant. Actually, if we do not get the funding and we do not reach the goal, then we will not be able to proceed with the restaurant. Um, so it's critical to us to be able to you know, implement this unique vision and bring something special to the community that hopefully can be a model to other people in other cities that, you know, want to combine their love of social justice in multiple ways in their own space. So, yep, absolutely. Backing our Kickstarter will help us get restaurant equipment that we need. Um, vegan plant-based food is very prep heavy. Uh, there's some specialized equipment that we need to get, like blenders, mixers, really heavy-duty kitchen supplies that are pretty expensive. So that's uh, where a lot of the Kickstarter funds will be going, as well as having funds to ensure that we can operate successfully. And for those who do choose to back the project, which I obviously encourage everyone listening to do, I have already done it. Definitely go and do it. But um, what can people get in return? What kind of rewards are you offering for those that do back the project? So if they go to trio plant-based, T-R-I-O plantbased.com slash Kickstarter, you'll be able to find a link on that page to our Kickstarter uh, page. And there you'll be able to see the variety of backing options. They start at $10. And at the very minimum, like some Kickstarters, you know, it'll take um, more money than $10 to have permanent acknowledgement somewhere, right? We wanted everyone that contributes um, even $10 to know that they're going to be permanently listed on our website as um, a supporter of TRIO. This is a community-based project and we really wanted everyone to feel included there. Um, so at the very intro level, you get that. As you start to get into the higher levels, you get, um, we also have some merchandise, we have buttons and stickers and then as you go up there's some food perks so uh, we will ship our house made Chex Mix anywhere in the world for I think it's either the 25 or 50 dollar level I forget but you get a variety of other perks and in there is the Chex Mix if you're local to Minneapolis you can also get some of the perks like our vanilla cake with strawberry sauce our ranch dressing uh, and then as you get um, to the $300 level, again, for locals, um, I mean, anyone can do it, but it's this $300 benefit is more for uh, someone who's local because for forever you get a free non-alcoholic beverage when you come into the restaurant with your meal and uh, as well as all of the other perks that are listed at that level. So that's kind of a fun perk because it just keeps on giving. Then once you get up to, I think, the $500 level, you get private dinners that are um, cooked by us in the restaurant. After we open, we have one day a week where we're going to be closed, which is Mondays, and we'll actually cook a private dinner for, there's one for four people, there's one for eight, there's one for 40, and it just keeps going up depending on the level. And then the super exciting perks that we have are are you familiar with Tabitha Brown, who made the Whole Foods TTLA famous? I have seen the video, yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, she is so adorable. And if you haven't seen it, like, definitely just, like, go on Facebook and type in Tabitha Brown and then the letters TTLA for tempeh, tomato, le lettuce, avocado. 
TTLA, and um, so she is like the super adorable, lovable, I am just in love with her, she is so cute, actress from LA who made this video about this TTLA sandwich from Whole Foods, and like, <laughs> it was just so funny, because she just went live in her car and like talked about this sandwich for a few minutes, and like, it went viral and ended up getting millions of views, and she is now just like, She's like now, you know, hired on by Whole Foods to do uh, advertising or, you know, or help promote them, pr help promote their uh, grocery store. And she's just adorable. So the exciting news is, is that we have some perks on there that are related to her. Like, for example, she's going to be at our grand opening once we set that date of our restaurant in Minneapolis. We're flying her in. And yes, Tabitha Brown will be at the Trio Grand Opening, date to be determined, sometime in 2018. And so at, there's some perks where you can have like a VIP early entrance pass and you can get there early before the crowds and hang out with her and talk with her. And I think that's limited to only 10 people total so you'd really definitely get a chance to chat with her to hang out with Tabitha before dinner then there's another perk where you can actually have dinner with Tabitha and be one of a limited number of people that can actually sit at Tabitha's table mingle and hang out with her for the entire dinner and then there's one perk that's I think at the $5,000 level where Tabitha will actually like I don't know if you watch her page lately but now what she does is like on the weekdays I think it's just on the weekdays around 6 p.m. Uh, Pacific time she will go live and she'll cook something vegan so she's introducing people to like plant-based eating um, and people just love her if you just watch the comments like they just adore her so she goes live and she cooks something in her kitchen and she's really entertaining so for the $5,000 level, she'll actually, in Minneapolis, do a Tabitha Brown kitchen takeover. <laughs> and it's a new thing. She will actually come into your kitchen and um, cook something vegan with you. And you can, I think, invite up to 10 of your friends or family to be there when she's doing that. But she'll basically come into your house and, like, take over your kitchen. It's the coolest perk. And I was joking to her that, like, I'm going to have a hard time not getting that perk myself, but that totally defeats the purpose of the Kickstarter. So. <laughs> wow, those are some some awesome perks. Uh, yeah, Tabitha is definitely <laughs> very energetic, very entertaining. So that is a real treat for, for anyone that's a big fan of her. First, let me say, we'll put a link to the, the Kickstarter in our show notes, of course. But um, for anyone that's out there that wants to, to help, wants to contribute, wants to spread the word, but they don't have any money to throw your way, how can how can people listening best support you uh, other than financially? Yeah, and we appreciate everyone's support. Uh, one of the best ways is just to, especially urgently, our next goal that we're trying to meet is to raise 25, is to meet the halfway goal and be at 25 by the end of the day on April 13th. So if they can, even if they can't contribute financially, if they can go to trioplantbase.com slash kickstarter or go to your show notes and find the Kickstarter link and share that with their friends and family, that is a huge help to us because 
we're little at this point and a lot of people don't know about us or what we're trying to do and we have such a limited time to get that Kickstarter funded. So if they're listening and they can help by sharing it and introducing a few friends to what we're trying to do, that would be amazing. Perfect. Well, yeah, once again, that's uh, that's uh, trioplantbase.com slash Kickstarter. And that brings us to, to the end of our time together. Sarah, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I know you are incredibly busy. Uh, so we really appreciate you coming on the show to talk about Trio with us. Thank you so much, Andy. I so appreciate the opportunity and um, admire your work as well. And can't wait to educate my network about what you're doing as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks. So we hope you enjoyed that interview with Sarah Woodcock from Trio Plant Based. Again, as always, if you have any questions or just just want to just want to say hi, you can email us at thebeardedvegans at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram or Facebook, just The Bearded Vegans. So, Andy, what do you have coming up? This coming Saturday, April 14th, I will be at the Wilmington Veg Fest in Wilmington, North Carolina. And uh, same day, Paul's surrogate Josh is going to be at the New Hampshire Veg Fest in, in Manchester, New Hampshire. And then let's see, April 29th, they'll be at the Veg Fest Michigan in Novi, Michigan. And same day, April 29th, Paul's surrogate Josh is going to be doing the New England Veg Fest in Worcester, Massachusetts. And May 5th, I'll be at the Cleveland Veg Fest in Cleveland, Ohio. All of those events come find the Compassion Company table. And I'll be there. Come say, what's up, Beardo? I'll hook you up with a button and sticker. And I'm going to try and send some of those along with Josh for those events, uh, the, the New Hampshire Veg Fest and the New England Veg Fest, just so people can get them in case they, they miss us. But uh, no promises just yet. But those are all the <laughs> events. If you want all the dates, deets, or links, just head over to CompassionCo.com. It's just CompassionCo.com. There may not be any stickers left because currently I have a good supply of stickers, but I recently put one up in a place where there are other stickers and someone took it down. So now I'm going to put two up in the spot where it was before. And if they take those down, I'm going to put four up then. So I, I may use up all of the bearded vegan stickers. So if there's no stickers, if Josh doesn't have any stickers, I'm sorry about that. I'm in a, a sticker war. With some anonymous person. I hope eventually gets to the point where you just spell out the bearded vegans in stickers. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. Uh, Paul, with all this movie talk, I'm so excited for everything that's coming out. The you know the one thing you didn't mention about that that series that is going to be maybe kind of like rotten was something that gives me a lot of hope for how it's going to turn out is the fact that they have this trailer and at the very end of the trailer. They just include the following seven words. We are the Beauty Beacons. Drugs to pay for secret wars around the world. 
And last time I stopped at ha- half and laugh time. <laughs> laugh. <laughs> so I'm in Louisville, Kentucky right now. And that's not even true at all. I'm in Nashville right now. <laughs> God, it's a cop slowly heading my way. I'm wondering if they're going to ask me if I'm recording a podcast. In here. <laughs> Is creating a new docu-series. Okay, I see what I see what you're doing there. Okay, take take three. <laughs> and then we had a green salad with um, my house-made ranch recipe, which people have actually been asking for that, like by the container now because they <laughs> like it so much. We have someone who self-identifies as a ranch enthusiast say that. <laughs> <laughs> she's ordered in bulk already that it's the best ranch she's ever had. And wow. I don't think that she's vegan. Very nice. Well, I, I aspire to be a ranch enthusiast in my life. <laughs> How many grams of protein is that? 30, 30 grams of protein for every sausage. It's tremendous. Not, not too shabby. Not too shabby at all. And I usually dab. Here's the, the behind the scenes, the tricks of the trade. I usually just take a paper towel and squeeze them because they have so much oil on them when they come in in the like in the package so try to get some of that oil off and then throw it in the microwave zap it up and pop it in my mouth all right you heard it you heard it here first it's a hot tip (laughs) from paul stella